0: Good morning, J-Road. It seems like just last week we were uh, sweating inside this room, and this morning we had frost in places. We didn't want to see it. I hope you're all warm and toasty. If you're not, my office is really warm. You can go uh, spend some time in there after we're done here this morning. you warm right up. Um... I'm happy to be up here this morning. I'm happy to be teaching this morning. Um, I will be honest um, with you when Jim and I were... I'm always honest with you. That's a weird thing to say. Um, When Jim and I were were talking about when he asked me if I would be able to preach today and we were uh, looking through the the series uh, that we're in, uh, this audacious prayers, praying audacious prayers, uh, and we were looking through the the six or seven different prayers that we had brainstormed as a staff that we were going to teach on, and we were trying to figure out which one which one I was going to teach on. Uh, one seemed to jump out off the page, and it comes from uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter six. God is in need of a messenger to deliver a message to the people of Israel, and. Uh, Isaiah finds himself in a vision, in a dream, where God appears to him, and and God asks the question, I, who, who will be my messenger? And Isaiah uh, jumps up and exclaims, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And this is an incredibly audacious prayer, and it seemed like the perfect prayer for the resident church planter to teach on, right? Because... What I would want from teaching this prayer, from teaching this message, is that half of you at the end of the service say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me out with this new church plant. And yes, this is what I feel uh, God calling you to do. And so that was kind of the intention of, um, of me teaching this message this morning, this prayer, this audacious prayer of, Here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, But as the week progressed, it became more evident that that wasn't the message that God wanted me to deliver through this passage. And I wrestled with him a lot over that this week. And so this morning is going to be a little less uh, polished uh, and a little bit more raw. And so I hope you just bear with me on that this morning as we uh, dive into God's Word but, nevertheless, this morning's audacious prayer is, Here I am, Lord, send me. And let me back up in the passage. So, so that, that specific prayer is, uh, comes in Isaiah chapter 6, and it comes at the end of verse 8. But if we back up a little bit in, in, that, in that chapter, I'm just going to read from the beginning of that chapter. It was in the year of King Uzziah that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth. Is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy y- lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Who here this morning, let me just ask a quick question before we dive too deep in. Who here this morning would love to pray this prayer? Here I am, Lord, send me. It's okay. All right, another question. Who here this morning feels like they're nowhere near ready to pray this prayer this morning? (laughs) I saw a lot of the same people raising their hands for both questions on that. That's an honest answer. It's an honest answer. It's actually I'm pleased to see so many raise their hands on this because, as believers in Christ, this is like this is go time, right? This prayer is I am ready. Send me out. I'm I'm ready for you. Give me instructions. Let's let's charge the hill. This is that kind of prayer. And if you are a person of action, man, this is like this is your prayer. This is what you would get excited about. This is enough sitting. In pews and enough praying and enough uh, enough singing about things and let's let's get down to some action. Send me, God. Tell me what you want me to do and just send me. But the truth is, the truth is, so many of us aren't. We're nowhere near ready to even speak this prayer. If we're honest with ourselves, we're nowhere close to being prepared to speak this prayer, because to speak this prayer, to speak this prayer means you are ready to lay everything down and follow wherever God is calling. I wanted to take a a minute, and, and those of you who raised your hand and said you're ready to pray this prayer, that you're excited to pray this prayer, um... I hope you still are at the end of this morning's message. (laughs) Let's look at some of the people that God sent. Um, Almost all of these come from the Old Testament. And I'm going to start with Noah. I'm going to start with, at at the beginning, and work my way forward. Let's start with Noah. God sent Noah. How comfortable was the mission that God sent Noah on? Was that like, like when, you, when you think of being on God's mission, I'm guilty of this. When you think of being on God's mission, doesn't it sound exciting? It sounds good, right? Like there's going to be good things happening. Like walls are going to, we sing about it, walls are going to crumble. Enemies are going to be destroyed. Good things are going to happen. This is going to be good. Right? It's an exciting thing. How excited was Noah to be told to build a boat, not on a lake? Everybody else thought he was crazy. He's building this giant ark. God tells him he's going to fill it with all the animals. And then I'm going to lock you in it for 150 days. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And then you're going to be on the boat, you know, the rain, when the rain stops, it ain't over, right? The earth is flooded. Noah's going to spend five months on a boat with his wife and his three sons and their wives. How many of y'all have kids that are married? How many of y'all want to go on a five-month cruise with those kids? And all the family pets. And all their family pets. This was an unknown thing that God was sending Noah into, a scary thing. They had no idea if the rains were ever going to stop. I mean, there would be a point in time where you're wondering, is this it? Like, has God brought us onto this boat just to, to die? Like, there's no end in sight to this thing that you've called me into. This is a scary time. You have just witnessed God wipe out creation. Abraham. God called Abraham to leave everything he knew behind. I'm going to take you to a land that I have promised, and I'm going to make great nations out of you, but you have no idea where this land is, or what that's going to look like, or how you're going to get there. God's promised to build great nations out of Abraham, but Abraham's become an old man, and he he hasn't even had a single son. At one point, Abraham's crying out to God, God, I don't care about all these blessings that you're telling me about. What good are they? It doesn't matter if you make me wealthy beyond all imagination. My inheritance is going to go to my slave because I don't even have a son. Then he finally gets a son, and God tells him to sacrifice him on an altar. That feels warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Moses. Moses is in a man, I, Moses doesn't even know who he is, right? He's born a Hebrew but gets adopted by an Egyptian, but gets raised in both Egyptian and Hebrew ways, feels this identity crisis inside of him, leads to him killing an Egyptian and being exiled from the family that he grew up with. He has, he's a man with no people. This one may be a little bit more um, unknown, but we'll come back to him later. Do you all know the story of Gideon? Gideon was, was one of Israel's uh, judges. When we talk about the judges that Israel had before, um, uh, before Israel started to have kings, they had judges. They were ruled by judges, and Gideon was one of those judges. And, and, and in, in God's calling... Gideon the Israelites were overwhelmed by uh, the Midianites who were swarmed the land that they were in they talked about their camels were as numerous as the as the desert sand the Israelites had to hide themselves in caves and every time that that they, they came out of the caves and they, they started to grow food. The Midianites would come and swarm and devour their food and destroy their land and, and force them back into hiding. And this was the situation that, that God was calling Gideon into. And Gideon cries out to God. God's telling him, "I'm gonna, you're going to be the hero, you're going to be the victor. And Gideon is like, who am I? I come from the weakest tribe and the weakest family within the weakest tribe. Like, I'm nobody of nobodies. And, and God says, not only are you going to be the hero, not, not only am I going to use you to free my people, when, when Gideon actually goes into battle, He's got 32,000 troops to face off against this people that they say is as numerous as the sand. I'm guessing that's a few more than 32,000. But God says that's too many. That's too many. If you go up against this army with 32,000, there's a chance that Israel may boast in their greatness. Like they did it on their own. Like it wasn't me that... That pulled them out of this situation. So, so you're going to have to weed some people out. So, so Gideon goes to his army and says, hey, you 32,000, if any of you scared, if any of you scared, facing what, facing what we're getting ready to face, it's okay, you can go home. No hard feelings. So 22,000 of them leave. He's down to 10,000. God says, that's too many. That's too many. I need you to weed this out further. You know what, take take the 10,000 that you have left and go down to the river and see how they drink. Some of them are gonna bend down and scoop up water in their hands and they're gonna drink from their hands. Others are gonna get down on their hands and knees and they're just gonna stick their face in the water and drink. And those that that scoop water in their hands and drink, those are gonna be the ones that you take into battle. Guess how many there were of the 10,000? 300. What? What? 300? This is what you want me to do, God? This is what you're calling me into? Does this sound exciting? Does this sound like good things are about to happen? Does this sound like walls are about to crumble? David, God's going to make David king. David's anointed to be king, but he's in the service of a king that wants to kill him. David's forced into hiding. He's got to run around in the caves, dodging soldiers, dodging attempts on his life. Paul, go New Testament, Paul. Paul dedicated his life to God. Paul had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever, and he was completely devoted. How comfortable was Paul's life? He was beaten next to death, shipwrecked, found himself in in starvation over and over again, jailed numerous times, held captive, right stripped away, persecuted. God's own son, Jesus Christ. God, come down to earth. How comfortable was his time here on earth? Pursuing God's will Let's just be honest and real Pursuing God's will Is Downright terrifying Makes no sense goes against what feels like every fiber in our being mostly because those fibers that we're clinging on to are worldly things that we've grown up with like by worldly perspectives knowing all we know in Scripture about <laughs> what the track record has been when people have been following God's will. When we hear God call, the the, the, the knee jerk reaction should be to hide underneath our our pews, right? Our beds. Be like, nope, find somebody else. Moses tried that a few times. Not me. I'm not your guy. So why in the world why in the world would any of these people sign up for this? Why in the world Isaiah knows all of this. Why would why in the world would he exclaim, God, you need a messenger. Here I am. Send me. I'm ready. Guys, my, my, my prayer for everyone here this morning is that it's at some point soon we all find ourselves in the position where we're ready to pray this prayer. But I have a feeling that a lot of us here this morning aren't ready. And that's the message that I wanted to share this morning. For for Isaiah to be ready, he had to two things. Two things about Isaiah that made him ready. One was that he knew who God was. He knew who this God was that was calling. He knew who his God was. The Hebrews had... A number of different names for God. Seven of them that I want to talk about this morning. And they weren't so much names like you and I have, but they were descriptions of God, His character, who God was. They were ways, they were ways, they were names in which they understood God. The first one comes from Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. And it's Yahweh Yira, the Lord, our provider. Abraham named a place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The context of this verse is Abraham with his son Isaac on the mountain with the altar at the moment of him sacrificing his son. And his, because of his obedience and his commitment to God's will, the Lord provided a sacrifice to take the place of Isaac. The Lord is our provider. When we are in pursuit of God's will, the Lord will provide. All that we need. Maybe not all that we want. Maybe not all that we think we need. But God will provide all that we need. That's a promise from Scripture. The second one comes from Exodus, chapter 15, verse 26. Flip over here to it. It's Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Rapha. The verse reads, he said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of these diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The Lord is our healer, Yahweh Rapha. The context of this verse, the Israelites are in the wilderness and they are in need of water. They haven't had a drink in over three days. They finally find water and it's bitter and undrinkable. And they're turning against Moses. And so Moses cries out to God, and this is God's response. If your people commit, if, if my people commit themselves to me, I will heal them. If they're obedient and they are pursuing me, I will heal them. This is the promise I give to you. I will be your healer. I am Yahweh Rapha. Rapha. Pursue me. Just a bit a little bit later, Moses finds another name for God. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, the verse reads, Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. The context here: the 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 Israelites are up against right. There's the, the, the promised land that they are sent into isn't isn't an empty land. It's filled with fierce people, and they are nomadic wanderers. And and and. And these are people that they have to face off against and battle to, to, for God to give them this, this land which he's promised. And they are facing another one of these yet insurmountable battles against the Amalekites. And, and Moses says, <coughs> Moses says to Joshua... You go out there and fight. I'm going to stand on the hill over there, and I'm going to raise my hands over the battle in the name of God. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm saying, can we switch places? But Moses was an old man. And Moses knew that his God was Yahweh Nisi. Our banner. Think about how we use banners today or how we've used banners in the past. Banners are things that tend to go out in front of us, aren't they? Banners in, in the context of, of war situations, banners and flags, they were used to, they were, they were sent out in front. They were what was used to communicate with each other. The banners were what gave you hope when you saw your banner flying, that you know the fight was still on and that there was still hope. The banner was an crucial part of battle, and and if that banner fell, the next soldier would run to pick it up and keep it flying, and that banner would be in battle with us. And that banner would lead us into battle to face our enemies. And so Moses knew this about his God, that that God was Yahweh Nisi, that he would be with us in battle. And so it was important for Moses to stand on top of that hill and raise his arms to his God because he knew that his God would be in battle with him. Because his God had promised that. And so as long as Moses' arms were raised, the Israelites were winning. When Moses got tired and his arms started to to fall, the Amalekites started to take back over. And and Moses', Moses' commanders that were with him, Started to notice this and so, so they got a rock for Moses to sit on and they held his arms up for him. They knew that their God was Yahweh Nisi. The next name for God comes from Judges. 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 Uh, This is chapter 6, verse 24. The verse reads, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. I just described for you the situation that, that Gideon faced with 300 soldiers. Split up into three different groups of a hundred. They defeated the Midianites. And God brought the peace that he promised the Israelites. And Gideon had faith that God would do this because he knew his God as Yahweh Shalom. God of peace. Our Lord is peace. The next name David sings in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Yahweh Ra. Yahweh Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. He will lead me. He will guide me. I'm hiding out in caves right now for my life, but I I won't fear because God is Yahweh Ra. He is my shepherd, my protector. What's the role of a shepherd? A shepherd's job is to protect the flock, to lead the flock to to food, to lead the flock to water, and to protect the flock from encroaching enemies. David knew that his God was Yahweh Ra. I kept my clock up here, but I just covered it. I've had it covered. The Lord is our righteousness comes from Jeremiah 23, verse 6. And this will be... His name, the Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. God's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. His name will be Yahweh Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. We are made righteous in Christ. The seventh name is Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. In Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, God is giving Ezekiel a vision of the new Jerusalem, of how the, the Israel is to be divided amongst the 12 tribes, and a plan and a design for the new Jerusalem. And the name of the city will be Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there because God's temple is going to be in the new Jerusalem. Where's the Lord's temple now? God is here. Isaiah knew this truth. Isaiah knew who his God was. He was Yahweh Yira, Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Ra, Yahweh Sidkinu, Yahweh Shama. Not only did he know who his God was, it was more than just knowing who God was. It's the difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Having knowledge and being devoted. And that's the second thing that Isaiah, the second position that Isaiah had to be in in order to this, pray this prayer of, Lord, send me. He had to be prepared to surrender his will for God's, to lay it all down for God's. Romans, verse 8, chapter 28. I'm going to hurry along now because we were joking, Jackie and I were joking earlier before I got up here about not being over, and I'm over. I'm sorry, Jackie. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Here's the problem with this verse. We read this verse and we plug our worldly context of what good is into this verse. And then we start to question. We start to question things like suffering. We start to question things like challenge. We, sing to, we start to question and we have fear start to creep in. What is God's definition of good? In all of these situations, in all of these circumstances that we've been talking about, what was God's objective? His glory. It it was to bring the people back to him. In everything that we do, in everything that we face, God's goal is for us to be closer to him, devoted to him, reliant on him. That's his definition of good. And a lot of times what brings that closeness is struggle and trial and challenge and difficulty. Uncomfortable, uncomfort, discomfort brings growth. Paul knew that. Philippians chapter 4, this is the last verse I'm, I'm going to touch on. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, we talk about a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But again, this is one that we put our worldly context on. And we think of this in terms of victory, of like by worldly definitions. Like good times, conquering, evil falling, winning. We think of this verse in the context. But if we back, back up just a couple of verses, Paul writes, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned... How to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is in a full, with a full stomach or an empty one. With plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is talking about being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens him from a... God-centered perspective, meaning it doesn't matter by worldly perspectives if I have a lot or a little, if I am in prison or am free, if I have, if I find myself in need, in want, or if I find myself with abundance, because my definition of victory, my definition of winning doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from from Christ, it comes from my proximity to my Lord and Savior. And as long as I'm close to Him, and as long as I'm reliant on Him for everything, completely devoted, then I will have victory according to His will and what that looks like. And it's when we find ourselves in these two positions that we have the ability to pray, God, here I am, send me, and not be crushed or sent running for the hills. We're not going to do group prayer today, but here's my request. There are so many things in our lives today that are getting in the way of us being in this position, and God wants to reveal them to you. You may know some of them. You may not know any of them. Even if you know a few of them, I am confident that there are others that have yet to be revealed for you. I want you to spend some time in silence and solitude this week. A lot of times when we pray, we feel like it's, we need to be talking, we need to be asking, we need to be, <laughs> we need to be glorifying or asking, one of those two things. There's a third component to prayer, and that's listening, because God wants to speak. and We don't do enough time, spend enough time listening. Spend some time in silence and solitude, not five minutes. Not 10 minutes. Spend a few hours in silence and solitude this week. Listening for God. Ask his Holy Spirit to reveal to you what it is that's coming in between you and him. So that you can get to the point where you are ready to pray this prayer like Isaiah. Here I am, God. Send me. Father God, thank you for all these people that are here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. Thank you for being. Thank you for being who you are, our provider, our healer, our banner, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, for being a God who is with us. God. This is a scary prayer, but bring us to our knees. Bring us to the point that we are reliant, utter reliance and devotion to you, God. And if need be, make us uncomfortable to do so. God, it's in your holy, almighty name we pray. Amen. We we have gathered here to worship today, and we have done that. We need you to leave here today and go out and Be be the church. Be the church, people.